Joshua chapter 10, verse chapter, through chapter 12. <clears throat> but um, I'm not going to read all that. Um, I'll let you do that on your own. But I do want to read a few verses here in chapter 10 because I want to I want to focus on a passage in chapter 10 that really encapsulates all of those three chapters together. So I wanted to read those <clears throat> this morning. So Joshua chapter 10 verse 1. And be patient as I try to read all these names. Okay? You know how it goes. So as soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities. And because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, to Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran and struck them as far as Azekai and Machedah. And they fled before Israel while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran. The Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekai and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones Then the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to camp at Gilgal. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, we've been studying the book of Joshua for several weeks. And uh, as we've been walking through this book, we've been given a front row seat to see how Joshua and the people of God Oh, we're going to respond to the promise of God. We've seen 
Uh, God appoint Joshua as the leader of God's people. We've seen them cross the Jordan. Uh, We've seen them conquer Jericho and Ai. And just let me just say this, okay? When you're pronouncing the word A and I, I mean, I was looking it up because, you know, sometimes you're like, how do you pronounce these words? Um, And so, you know, there's several different pronunciations. AI, I don't even think is one of them, but it just sounds good. So you know what I'm talking about. They conquered those two cities. And in the next few chapters, we're going to look at, you know, Joshua 10, 11, 12. uh, You see Joshua and the Israelites conquering several kings and cities as they take the land that God had promised to give them. Now, I'm not going to discuss every single battle and every single king. One of the main reasons is because I don't want to pronounce all their names. But then, I think just by looking at chapter 10, we'll see a pattern that basically encapsulates how they approached all these battles and what the result was. So, we're going to look at the battle that's recorded in chapter 10 that I just read for you. And I think as we look at this battle... I believe that we see a principle that was true of Joshua and the people of God then that also carries over uh, to us today. That is true of us and our relationship with God as well. And the principle is the principle of give and take. Give and take. And this may surprise you, but there are basically two parts to that principle. The giving and the taking. So first, you guessed it. You have the giving. Okay, the giving. Now, God gives a promise. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about the principle of give and take. God gives a promise. And the promise is the most important part of the principle, right? Uh, It is what really sets the rest of it in motion. Because without the giving, there can be no taking. And so for Joshua and the people of Israel, God promised to give them the land of Canaan. If you look back in Joshua chapter 1, this is what really got me thinking about this principle. Joshua chapter 1, in the latter part of verse 2 and 3, we read this. Now, therefore, arise, go over, the, over this Jordan. So God's talking to Joshua. You and all this people into the land that I'm giving to them. Okay? To the people of Israel. Now, listen to this in chapter, I mean, verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Just as I promised to Moses. So notice that God says, I have already given this to you. I've promised this to you. Even before they even entered the land, before Joshua stepped foot in the land or raised the sword, God said, I've given this to you. And we know that only God can make that type of promise, uh, only give, give us that type of guarantee, uh, because it's a promise that's made by someone who has both the will and the power to bring it about. And so God can make that type of promise. You know, the old Puritan, Thomas Watson, once said, The promises of God are like flotation devices, keeping us from sinking when we come to the waters of affliction. You know, it's the the promises of God that, that hold us up in life. We cling to the promises. There's that hymn, you know, standing on the promises of God. Uh, If Celia's in here, she's in children's church, but... Uh, many of y'all know Dr. Randy Cooper uh, in town. He was my Sunday school teacher. And uh, we'd always start off the Sunday school class with a hymn. And that was one of the ones we'd sing all the time. Standing on the promises of God. But it's, it's the flotation device. It's what keeps us out. It, keep, it keeps hope alive when we face the waters of affliction. So the first part of this principle 
is that God must give the promise if we have any hope whatsoever, right? So that's the first part, the giving, the giving of the promise. The second part is the receiving or the taking. And there is one way that we can take or enter into that which God has promised to give us, and that is by faith. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So if I just visualize, I just visualize faith as as kind of the, the open hands of the heart to receive what God has promised. It's an action of the soul. And there are some promises of God that simply require that type of action. The action of the soul. Faith. And the most important of which is how one becomes a Christian. How one uh, becomes part of the people of God. God's word says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, God's Word says that uh, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. Jesus said, whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And so we see that this, this fundamental promise of God that changes our standing with God and alters our whole reality uh, is one that is simply received by faith. It's receiving this Offer this promise of God. I and mean, the way we do that is by faith. And maybe you've already taken that step. And I know many of you have. Uh, if you have not taken that step of faith. There's a next step card in the pew in front of you. That walks you through how to take your next step. Whether it's placing your faith in Christ for the first time. Or following the Lord in baptism. Or joining our church family. Uh, but specifically we want to embrace and experience. And take hold of God's promise to us. And the way we do that is by faith. Now let's return to Joshua. Because the promise that God gave Joshua is a little bit different than the promise of salvation, for example. Because Joshua was already among the people of God, named among the people of God. He already had saving faith, if you will. And so the promise that God is extending Joshua is a promise geared toward believers. It's a promise geared toward the people of God. And so the promise that God extends to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 and to the people is one that not only requires action of the soul, but also action of the body. In other words, in order to take what God was giving, Joshua had to allow his faith to cause him to act in a certain way. So God promised Joshua and the people of Israel the land of Canaan. That's his promise. I'm going to give you this land. I've given you this land. So... He even goes so far to tell Joshua, like I said, that I've already given you this land before you even raise your sword. I've given it to you. But when God gave him that promise, it was already inhabited by thousands of people, right? He says, I've given you this land. And then Joshua's looking at the land and he's obviously observing, well, guess what? There are thousands of people living in this land. So, you know, you've given it to me, yet I don't possess it yet. So the question is, how was Joshua going to enter into what God was promising him? How was he going to enter into what God was promising him? Again, this is not a promise of salvation. You know, Joshua was already saved. He's already part of the people of God. This was a real estate promise, right? 
God's telling Joshua and them, I'm going to give you this land in this life right now. And so the question is, how should Joshua take what God was giving? And you would say, well, Ronnie, he should do it by faith. And I would say, you're right. He must do it by faith. However, this type of faith requires action. If if they're going to experience what God has promised to them, they must take faith-filled action. And this type of promise that God gives Joshua is that type that requires this faith-filled action. Not only action of the soul, but action of the body. So let's look back at the passage and let's see how Joshua responded to this promise of God to give him the land. Look at verse 6. It says, And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. There it is again. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So notice Joshua is hearing from God and God tells him, Joshua, I've already given them to you. I've given them to your hands. As he's marching to them, he hasn't even fought the battle yet. And God says, I've already given them into your hands. So why did Joshua keep marching? I mean, they're his. Joshua could say, well, great, I've already got them. So no need to go down there and fight. Well, that's not what happened. Verse 9 says, so Joshua came upon them suddenly. He kept marching. He kept going, having marched up all night from Gilgal. Because God gives a promise to us. There, There are certain promises that God gives us. But the way we take it or receive it is through faith-filled action. You know, Joshua believed God's promise and he allowed God's promise to guide his action. You see that? It's the promise of God that drove his action. And he understood that faith is not meant to be dormant, but it's meant to be acted upon. And this was true for Joshua and this is true for us as well. God is calling us to faith-filled action. So if you're going to enter into what God is giving you, then you must take it by faith. And now you may be saying, well, Ron, you know, God promised Joshua a very specific piece of real estate. How does that you know, relate to us today? And you're right. God gave Joshua a very specific promise that you are to take this land of Canaan. And we want to be careful that we don't read into his promise that he gave Joshua and somehow try to translate it to us, okay? That's, that's not our promise. That's the promise he gave to Joshua and the people of Israel at that time. And what I see in the New Testament is that most of the promises in the New Testament for me and you gravitate around two areas. The first area is the experience of the kingdom of God that we can expect to experience now. You know, these promises all gravitate around how we can experience the kingdom of God now. And the second area that God's promises gravitate around is how we will experience the the kingdom of God in the future. And both of these promises deal with the presence of God, the power of God, 
and the provision of God for His people. So even though the promises for us may differ in the specifics, they are still promises of God nonetheless. And as we enter into what God is offering to us, we, we enter into it by faith-filled action. So here's another important truth about how we take what God gives. If God gives the promise, how do we take it? Well, we know God gives the promise and we are to take it, but we also see that God helps us to take it when we take it according to His will or seek it according to His will. And let me show you an example of this in verses 10 and 11. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel. So God tells Joshua, I'm going to give you, I've given you these men. I've given you the army. You're going to conquer them. They're, 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 you're going to be victorious. And so he keeps marching. He surprises them and says, the Lord threw them into a, a panic. So the Lord is involved in the battle. And then it says, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran. So Israel, they're charging, they're fighting. And then in verse 11, it says, And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. Now listen to this, last part. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Because remember, Joshua and them marched all night long. It was about an 8 to 10 hour march to surprise them. And so they surprised them. They fought, but then God unleashed the arsenal of heaven with hailstones and killed more people in that army than the Israelites did by the sword. So here's the truth I want you to see. When you and I seek to take hold of what God has promised us according to His Word, God Himself will assist us in the taking. You see that? God promises us something. And then when we, by faith, choose to pursue it, God assists us in the taking. Did you hear it in the passage? First in verse 10, God's the one who threw them into the panic. And then second, God's the one who brought down hellstones from heaven. So let me ask you this. Who fought the battle? Who fought the battle? Well, I mean, the people of God fought the battle, right? But yet at the same time, they weren't alone, were they? They were moving forward by faith, believing God would give them what He promised. And because they were doing what God wanted them to do, He gave them the assistance they needed to be victorious. And this was true for them, and this is true for us. You know, when you seek to do the will of God, God will assist you and enable you to do it. And there are two main ways that He assists us in accomplishing His will. One is through the internal enabling of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we know that from the New Testament, that we are given the Holy Spirit, the the very person of God and the person of the Holy Spirit, to enable us to do the will of God. Now, this is a mysterious internal work of God's Spirit in our hearts that helps us pursue the will of God. I mean, there's definitely mystery there, no doubt about it. But this is what the Bible teaches, that God gives us His Spirit to empower us to do His will. 
Second way that he assists us is through providence. It's through providence. Providence is how God uses the affairs of everyday life to accomplish his purposes. Providence uh, was the hailstones that rained down from heaven. Calvin said that ignorance of, prom- ignorance of providence is the ultimate misery. Ignorance of providence is the ultimate misery. The highest blessedness lies in knowing it. In other words, knowing that as we seek God's will, that we have God's assistance, divine assistance, should give us great confidence. It gives you great confidence as a a child of God. To know that as I seek to do what God wants me to do, God is going to help me both internally through His Spirit and externally through providence to bring about His purposes. And this confidence should really thrust us into faith-filled action. But know this, that God does not assist us in our sin. He doesn't offer His assistance in sin. You do that on your own. (laughs) That's all on you, right? He's not going to help you sin. But He will help you do His will. And we see it in the passage. And we see it all throughout the New Testament as well. God's assistance is available to us as we seek to do what He wants us to do. And so if you desire to do God's will, then God will give you what you need to do it. Listen to this. God never makes a promise to you that you cannot take hold of by faith. He doesn't. He gives every promise He gives, He enables you to take hold of that promise by faith if you want to. If you want to. And there, listen to this, but there are things, there are things that God offers to you and me that we do not take hold of. There are things that do not happen because we do not move forward by faith. Now there's, there's one more piece of the puzzle I, I, wanna, I want you to see as we think about the taking, the receiving of God's promise. Joshua and the Israelite army continued to fight. Okay, we read the passage. They continued to fight even after the hailstones dropped from heaven. But they realized they were running out of daylight. And if they were going to completely defeat the enemy, they would need more time. And so if you were in Joshua's sandals, seeing that you were running out of time to finish the job, what would you pray for and ask God to do? I know what I'd pray for. We need more hailstones. <laughs> Bring down some more hailstones. Run- it's getting dark. We're running out of time. We need some more divine intervention. Bring down the hailstones because we can't get the job done. But notice Joshua's prayer in verse 12. He says, At that time Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Now, what an amazing prayer. You know, instead of praying for more hailstones, God bring more hailstones, Joshua prays for more daylight so he can finish the job. Now, on a side note, like I said earlier, it's just interesting that we're talking about this passage as daylight savings time. You know, I don't know about you. 
but I'd be fine if they would just leave the clock alone. I mean, and here's the thing. In the Jones household this morning, the one day in the whole year now that we lose an hour of sleep, someone in my house forgot to cut their alarm off and went, and went off extremely early in the morning, hours before it should have. The one day, the one morning... That we lose an hour of sleep. That person will remain nameless. But the bottom line is, I'm not a big forward of this. I'm not a big fan of this springing forward, you know, an hour. You know, in verse 14, we read, you know, when Joshua prayed that the sun would stand still, God answered the prayer. And verse 14, it says, "There's, there's not been a day like it since, before or since. So I take that to mean, let's stop messing with the clock. Let's just leave it alone, right? Anyway, let's get back to the message. So chapter 10 you know, is an example of this give and take principle that we see in Scripture. And, and here's the thing as it relates to the prayer of Joshua. I, I, see, I see two um, ditches that we can fall into as it relates to this principle. One ditch is to pray and not act. And the other ditch is to act and not pray. So if we simply pray and we do not act, we show that our, our prayer is lacking faith because faith acts. You know, faith pursues that which God has promised us. As we seek His guidance and depending upon His assistance, we move forward. But the other ditch is acting without praying. And when we act without praying, we fail to access all that God has promised to give us, to assist us. And the accomplishing of his will. You know, Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. You know, there are things that will not happen unless you pray for them to happen. Do you know that? I mean, there are some things that will not happen unless you pray and ask God to do it. That's the mystery of prayer. God offers His assistance, but He doesn't cause you to be some robot and just automatically gets it to you. You have to ask for certain things. That's why Jesus said, hey, you need to ask, you need to seek, you need to knock. And God will give you what you need. There are things that God offers to us that we will not receive or experience unless we seek to receive them by faith. God gives and He wants us to take, but He wants us to receive it by taking steps of faith. You know, Joshua understood this, and this is why he marched all night to engage the enemy. Joshua understood this. This is why he prayed for more daylight instead of for more hailstones. This is why Joshua and the people of Israel were victorious. And then notice in verse 14, it says, For the Lord fought for Israel. You know, God is the one who ultimately is going to get the glory for the victory. But also notice, though, that the people enjoy the benefit because they are receiving what God promised. So, yeah, God gets the glory for the victory, no doubt about it. But you benefit and you enjoy the victory as you seek to take those steps of faith and take hold of what God has promised to give you. You This is just one example of many where God gives his people an opportunity to step out in faith and enter into something that he has promised to give them. For Joshua, it was the land of Canaan. But what is it for you? Is it, 
you know, the opportunity to be a godly spouse? You know, is it an opportunity to have a better relationship with your children or grandchildren? An opportunity to love your neighbor or pursue purity? To become a better steward of your resources? To share your faith with someone this week? To use your gifts and abilities to build up the body of Christ? Or maybe it's to place your faith in Christ for the first time. I mean, these are things that God will help you to do if you seek His will in faith-filled action. And whatever God may be bringing to your mind, even as you think about what He wants you to move forward and take hold of, just remember this. God has given us many promises in His Word, and He wants us to take hold of those promises by faith. And as we seek to do that according to His will, He will assist us. In the accomplishing of that task. You know, there's a pastor that was telling a story about um, his little girl. His little girl's name was uh, Melody Jane. And this pastor was sitting in his study in his house. And he was, you know, preparing for a sermon or a Bible study or something like that. And he was reading his book. And uh, Melody Jane, five years old, came in the, the study and asked her dad, Dad, will you get me a, a dollhouse? And so, you know, the, the dad looked up and nodded and said, Yes, honey, I'll build you a dollhouse. Well, she ran out of the room. Obviously, she was excited. And so he went back to studying his, you know, his notes and his, reading his book and whatnot. And he <clears throat> looked out his window, which overlooked the yard, his front yard. And he noticed his little girl, uh, was, you know, she was coming out of the house carrying all these things and putting them out in the yard in this little pile. I mean, she was bringing out like little dishes she was bringing out uh, little dolls and other little toys. And she keeps piling these things up in the yard. And he's wondering, what in the world is she doing? And so she, he calls in his wife and, she, and he says, you know, Honey, what, what is little Melody Jane doing? And his wife tells him, Well, you promised to build her a dollhouse. And she believes you. And so she's getting ready. She's getting ready to receive it. Decorate it. Put all the toys in it. you know. And so it really kind of landed on him that, oh yeah, okay, <laughs> I promised this dollhouse to her. She's ready to receive it. She's preparing to receive it. And so he says, you know, he got up, he went to the uh, you know, Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever it may be, grabbed the lumber and all the tools, came back, built, built her a dollhouse. And he says, you know, why did I respond that way? He says, because I gave her my word. And she believed it and acted upon it. And he says, when I saw her faith, Nothing could keep me from carrying out my word. And if you, if you, if you, if this is how you know, this little girl's father responded, how much more will our heavenly Father keep His word and carry out His promises? But the question is: Are we getting ready for it? Are we seeking to take hold of those promises by faith? Through his assistance. Let us pray. God, thank you for this story of Joshua and the Israelites as they courageously, by faith, move forward and seek to take this land that you promised to them. Lord, you give us many promises in your word. Some apply to us today and things that we can experience now. Other promises. Uh, relate to the future and what we will experience when Christ returns and brings in His kingdom in its fullness. 
And we are so thankful for your promises, Lord. They, they do serve as flotation devices as we face the waters of affliction. But God, I just pray that we as your people would be people of faith and faith-filled action. That we would seek to take hold of those things that you promised to give us and do in our lives by faith. That we would move forward and trust you to accomplish these things. And would you assist us as we seek to do your will and be the people you want us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.